1: my greatest gift and the most the gift that I'm most grateful for is that how many people I have helped and touched over this 60 year span feeling that I have touched people and helped them to work and change their lives is my purpose on the planet that's what I live for I'm very grateful for the gift that I have been given that in black mass. When I was losing my son, or I lost my son, I was using one of his choices that I got in his class, and it really worked for me. He said, that man is a genius.
0: Eric Morris has been teaching his unique acting system in Los Angeles, New York, and around the world for 53 years. His approach to acting is to teach actors how not to act, but to become professional experiencers. While his techniques are solidly rooted in his system, he has gone far beyond the original precepts of the Stanislavski system. Eric has created over 300 exercises and techniques to liberate the actor so that he can be free to act. In addition, he has innovated a complete system of craft that addresses and fulfills all the obligations of dramatic material. He likes to say that the craft leaves no stone unturned. A Northwestern graduate, his acting career spans over 60 years, wherein he was able to appear in over 50 equity plays, 20 major motion pictures, 50 network television shows, and has written seven books on acting, placing him among the most recognized acting teachers in the world. His books, including No Acting Please, Being and Doing, and Freeing the Actor, are used in hundreds of colleges, universities, and acting schools all over the world. In his most recent book, A Second Chance at Life, Morris transformed his proprietary acting method into a therapeutic tool that can free people from crippling, emotional obstacles repair their trauma and enjoy a life of happiness and success you can learn more about his classes at ericmorris.com and find a second chance at life wherever books are sold i feel so grateful to have had the opportunity to meet eric morris today he's such an incredible person of purpose with such a rich background of purpose it's amazing that he's 87 years old that's just incredible He takes such good care of his health and his well-being and his psyche, um, and I just love his mindset of learning and growing every day putting one foot in front of the other. It was just also so neat to be able to really feel his enthusiasm and zest for life that really come through um, his path of purpose. He's been on this path for 60 years. He has so much momentum behind him. He's just a force of purpose. And it's so cool to be able to listen to all this come through in this hour-long conversation we had. I also feel incredibly blessed to have had the opportunity to just channel the energy Um, that I know he carries in him from people like Johnny Depp and Jack Nicholson and Arnold Schwarzenegger, who he's done personal mentorship with, who he's had personal relationships with, and that he continues to have these relationships with. such a testament to his path of purpose. Um, The things I've learned from him today really resonate with me just as being someone who's a creative, who's an inner artist, who's on a path of unfolding their truest self. I'm being curious and asking questions. I just really admire all of these components of eric morris and everything that he does in his life um i really want to take one of his acting classes one day and it's just inspired me to ho- start a whole new path that um isn't it, it relates so much to my path It is my path um but it's a whole new avenue on the path a whole new medium of expressing uh, my, myself on the path that i think would be really really cool i'm gonna sounds like i'm gonna get the chance to catch up with him in la at the end of this month Have some coffee, see one of his classes, and it's going to be incredible. So, thank you so much for being on this journey with us, on this path of purpose. And I know that today's episode is going to inspire you. Please uh, share on our Facebook or Instagram pages at People of Purpose Podcast what it is that stood out to you today, what it is that you're going to apply to your life to be more authentic to who you are, and really free yourself up to live the life of joy and happiness um, and, and a higher consciousness that. I know that you can have. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode with Eric Morris. Hello, Eric. Welcome to People of Purpose Podcast. It's so good to have you today.
1: Thank you very much.
0: Thank you very
1: much. I'm glad to be here.
0: Yeah. Um, so I've gotten the chance to meet you uh, through your publication, and I was doing some research on you, and what you do is so fascinating, and I think you're the guest that has done their purpose the longest you said six decades um, before the call.
1: Yeah, yeah, I, I, I've been teaching acting for 60 years. <clears throat> this last December was 60 years. And of course I'm an actor and I've done some di- directing and I've written nine books on my process. I've created a process of acting, which I believe is the first new process in the last hundred years. It's based on Stanislavski. I was influenced by Lee Strasberg. Mm-hmm. I've gone galaxies beyond the original precepts. Uh, But, of course, you know, the foundation that I started with is Stanislavski, and I built on that, created my own system. It really, really works. It liberates actors so that they're free to not act and be experiential actors. When I say I teach a no acting class, (laughs) instead of an acting class, it truly is, you know. So I, I have this new book. It's called. It just came out a couple of months ago. I've been working on it for three or four years. This, this particular book, which is my ninth book, and it's called A Second Chance at Life. And it really is, you know, it really is a second chance because it's not just for actors. It's for everybody in the world. Now, how does this evolve? Well, it evolved out of my work with actors over the last six decades. The techniques and the approaches and the exercises I've created, three, four, five hundred of them, actually work for people who are not actors. It liberates them to be free to uh, experience their life and to, to seek and repair damage. We are all damaged people. We grow up in a society that is very, very punitively damaging. Even by well-meaning and loving people we get damaged and that damage uh, finds its way into our unconscious and relegates itself into our unconscious memory banks and that damage keeps liberating itself into our consciousness. It actually keeps us from being happy, productive, healthy, and successful. So depending on the level of damage, you know, we're, you know we get damaged even before birth. So it's, it's a really serious issue. And I have in this book, I have oh six or seven techniques that are designed to free the person from these, from, the, from you know, the damage that they've experienced. And uh, they really work. I've worked on it myself. Uh, I had an epiphany 10 years ago uh, myself. I was dealing with an image that was a false image. I call it a false image because I never questioned it. Uh, it was my uh, self-image, and I was comfortable with it because that's who I thought I was. And then uh, a couple of events took place. And uh, I actually realized that I had to challenge that self-image by by asking myself what differences there were in me, what were my accomplishments, was really important to my life. And by challenging that self-image, I found this other part of me which challenged the self-image I was living in and changed that self-image into who I really am. I was living in this false self, and now after this epiphany that I had and this uh this discovery, I became aware of a real self rather than a false self.
0: Yeah. So yeah, that that part really can we talk about that that false self dichotomy? Oh sure. That part like really resonated with me. Um I was nineteen, I fell down the mountainside and I got search and rescued and I like came face to face with death in that moment. And it really caused me to like challenge every basic assumption I had made about myself. Mm-hmm. What is it that was going on with you like that? Like, can you unpack that, that false self-image a little bit? And was there like a moment or a day that you realized this has got to change?
1: Yeah, I'll be very happy to talk about it. In my book, the section is retrospective objectivity. That's a section in my book, Second Chance at Life, that deals exactly what I was just talking about. Uh, examining, becoming aware, conscious of the self-image we've been living with and finding a way to challenge it by comparing it to the difference in our lives, our accomplishments, our discoveries, uh, our, our increased awareness and consciousness. As we come become more and more conscious, we have to include the evolution and our movement forward. And I wasn't doing that. Most people don't do that. So about, I guess it was maybe seven or eight years ago, I, you know, I was fairly successful. I do very well. I three, I have three classes each week. My classes are very populated. And I've, as I say, I've been teaching for 60 years. But uh, seven, eight years ago, I became aware of the fact that I was creating priorities in other people that I was looking up to, imagining uh, how successful they were and comparing myself in, in a successful way with them. And I realized that I really wasn't allowing myself wasn't allowing myself to really become conscious and aware of what I have accomplished in the last 25 or 30 years. It seemed, I knew I I knew that my work was growing and I, I was finding new ways of working with people. But when I started to really look at my life in the present time, at that time, at that time in the present time, there was so much more to me, so much more, of my understanding and evolution and consciousness and accomplishments than I had given myself credit for. So in a sense, I had been limiting my level of forward movement and success. So once I challenged the self image I was living in for 70 some odd years or whatever, I realized that I had not given myself and I had not become aware Conscious of the fact that I have moved along in 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 decades to another place in my life, which was richer, fuller, more 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 uh, knowing, more more knowledgeable, more accomplished, more uh, consciousness, more conscious than I uh, I had realized. And then when I when I got that particular knowledge and and mer- merged it with my self image, I felt. Uh, I felt that I was living in a, a, a real self-image, uh, an, an authentic self-image rather than a false self-image. You know, a, a false self as opposed to a real self as opposed to a false self. And then I've worked with other people in my classes and at and, and other times, and I've used this work with tremendous, tremendous uh, success and responses. Uh, You know, being damaged and limited, we do not really enjoy the fulfillment of what we can really experience as people and being happy, healthy, uh, successful in our lives. And this work really works, you know.
0: Sounds like it really changed everything for you when you became just aware that you had changed into a more authentic person.
1: Yeah. You know, I have to say this. I was successful even, at, even before that epiphany that I had. I had already written six or seven books and I had a following all over the world. I've got about 100 teachers teaching my system all over the world. So I was successful on that level, but I had not on a much larger consciousness awareness level. And I didn't realize and I didn't even claim to myself what I had done, what I had accomplished. The uh, the emails and the and the texts that I get from people all over the world telling me how much my work has changed their lives, I I, I I don't know. I just I just was oblivious to that in a certain on a certain level. But I do I do live by two credos: stay hungry and keep reaching, and never get self impressed. Because the minute you get self impressed, you're dead. You're finished. You 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 don't make a step forward. But you know. Uh, I was so not self-impressed, I was not including my accomplishments, you know? <laughs> so essentially, and, and I, I, I'm i even a little bit uh, reluctant to, to say this because I don't want to sound like I'm blowing my own horn or being egocentric because I find be, egos, being egocentric is repulsive to me, you know what I mean?
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: Absolutely, I don't think about it. I don't. I, I don't spend any time thinking about it. If I wasn't talking to you right now about it, I wouldn't be thinking about it. I mean, I once, once I embraced it and I challenged the self-image I was living in for 70 some odd years. I added my discoveries to that self-image. My self-image became bigger, wider, uh, more open, more conscious, more full, more real. But I don't spend a lot of time. I don't spend a lot of time. Uh, congratulating myself, and so uh, I I, I'm, I don't spend a lot of time, even though I know that I have had very important accomplishments, but my greatest gift, my greatest gift, and the most, the, the gift that I'm most grateful for is that how many people I have helped and touched over this 60-year span. Well, I've been an actor for even 12 years before that, but uh, I I, the feeling that I have touched people and helped them to work and change their lives is my purpose on the planet. That's my purpose on the planet. That That's what I live for. You know, I never start, I never wrote a book to make money. I never started a class with the thought that I was going to make any money with it. I, I do make a good living actually, but that was never my goal. I needed to do this. I mean, I don't want to sound like I'm, I'm part of the priesthood here, but it was a calling. It was a calling right at the beginning. It was a calling for me. It was a purpose in life. I, th- this is why I'm here. This is why I do it, you know?
0: That's awesome that you found such a good calling and you stayed so true to the path. How how has it, I'm really curious, like as a, I'm in the millennial generation, how, how has things changed for you and how to get people beyond their like self-image egocentricism in the age of social media because it is so on people's mind all the time like what are others thinking about them it's not even their own physical community it's like what is my brand or image of myself in the world and it's so important for like professional development and social development how do you get people to like not get too attached to that and not not think about that when we're bombarded with notifications around those those topics
1: well, that's a great question. That's a fantastic question. I'll tell you why. Uh, I, I, I'm an actor. I've always, I will die being an actor. I've done a uh, hundred uh, uh, films, uh, com, uh, films, television, uh, fifty professional equity plays. I've got a uh, quite a background as an actor. I stopped acting. Uh, probably because I got more involved in teaching and, and creating the system. But I'm going to answer your question. It's not like it used to be. I used to work till 2 o'clock in the morning. People would, filled with energy, would jump up on the stage. Time has changed a lot. The new generation, the, the new generation, the uh, computer generation, the technological generation seems to be like people are not so much more interested in training than they are coming to Hollywood and becoming movie stars or, or, or cracking through the business and being successful in my time over at least 40, 50 of those years, maybe 30, 40. I can't, I, I can't quantify. Actually, we were of a different generation. We were committed to training and becoming artists and craftspeople that is not so important you know i used to have 30 people in the class i've got 15 people in the class now 16 people in the class now i don't advertise i'm just all word of mouth i feel uh, that's plenty of people to work with but do you know they used to stand out in front of the door waiting to get in they couldn't wait to get on that stage and work with the work not anymore now the whole concept
0: you attribute that to some um, lack of desirability to want to like really work on yourself. Like most people want to just like come and think that they're already set up for the success and they just need to like tap into the system. They don't want to like do the inner work required or what is it that you're saying is different about this?
1: That, that's exactly the, the truth. Uh, the, present, the present generation, with some exceptions, I must, I must credit the exceptions. There are still people who want to be artists and craftspeople and acting and living and being evolved and growing is very important to them. But it's, it's an exception rather than a rule. Wow! People, noses are in their cell phones. They're, they're sending their auditions in on, on, on tape uh, to get jobs. They get off of a plane. And and they if they get a Screen Actors Guild card, they're, they consider themselves professionals without any training. I'm 87 years old, and I'm still in training. I have a 95-year-old uh, MD psychiatrist that I go to every Friday for my own therapy, for my own growth. I'm still growing. I'm still in training. I'm still evolving. I'm still using this work on a daily basis. I'm, and, and I have people who work with me who have the same kind of credo and in, in involvement, but it's not like it used to be. It's not.
0: That's incredible that you're 87 years old and you have this much enthusiasm and passion and zest for life. What is it that you're working on right now that, that you want to, that you're training for like next week or this moment? What is, where are you at right now in your development?
1: My classes are ongoing. I have people who've been with me three years, five years, 10 years, 15, 20 years. And these people with me are not professional students. They work in the industry. They do films. They do television. I work with a lot of working professional actors who are very successful. But I also work with the beginners who are on the journey to, uh, to learn, etc. But I, I'm moving into, I'm glad you asked that question. You're very good, you know. You're right to the point. I like what the questions you're asking me are so provocative. I'm moving.
0: You're right to the point. <laughs>
1: I'm I'm very I'm very interested in moving into another hemisphere. Not giving up the hemisphere I'm in at all, mm-hmm. but I want to start. I want to start reaching people who are not actors, because this work is so importantly impacting on repairing the damage and creating a whole new life. This book, Second Chance at Life, really is a second chance at life. If it's not a reading book it's a reading and a working book. If you don't do the work uh, that, then it doesn't work. The man, the psychiatrist uh, Angela Bi who wrote the forward to my book, uh, worked with me for for five years in my classes He was pursuing acting as well as being an MD psychiatrist and he is he had he has a, 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 a credentials a, a arm long. he said one thing in the introduction. You can't just read this book. You have to do the work if you want the results. And that's true. And it works. And that's where I'm I'm, ultimately I'm thinking of starting. And I'm glad you asked the question. Uh, This would have never come up if you didn't ask the question. I think I'm thinking of starting one or two day seminars, second chance at life seminars, dealing with not only actors, but with people who are not actors in all walks of life because this work works. And so I'm thinking that in the near future, if it's possible and it works out, that I will start some uh, classes, uh, some workshops, weekend workshops, one day or two day workshops, second chance of life uh, workshops. Uh, d- with me uh, doing, uh, teaching uh, them how to do the repairing the damage and the, uh, uh, the uh, dealing with the uh, self-image, a retrospective objectivity, second chance and second chance encounters, uh, and also a subpersonality work, which is a mega tool. It's a mega approach for helping people to find out who's running and ruling their lives. Uh, this, this, this work is bottomless. It's it's endless. It's it has no end to it. It just keeps on going and going. You know?
0: Yeah, that's incredible. I love all those areas of focus that you just mentioned. Um, How how is why is acting the best medium to access all of those dimensions of like yourself? You talk about repairing damage, self image, personality work. Why is it that acting is so essential to to those?
1: Well, actually, this all evolved out of the fact that when actors would come to me for training and this is categorically the missing link in the training of actors. Now, this, uh, this also, I hesitate to say what I'm going to say because it sounds egocentric. But the only reason I can say it is the truth. It's not ego. The training of actors, the missing link in the training of actors in the last 50, 60, 70, 80, 100 years, is that the actor's instrument was neglected. Nobody wanted to deal with dealing with what they called crossing the line between teaching acting and psychology, psychotherapy. Well, it's not psychotherapy to liberate an actor so he's free to act. People came to me with such damage and such blocks and such incredible emotional hang-ups and fear and tension and insecurities and all of that that I developed exercises to antidote and eliminate all of these things so that the actor was free to experientially act. So my process was divided into two areas. The instrument, liberating the instrument. The instrument is you, your mind, your body, your voice, your emotions. If, if, if you were a violinist, your instrument would be a violin. If you were a pianist, your, your instrument would be a uh, piano. But as an actor, your instrument is you. In order to liberate that instrument, I, I innovated, invented, discovered, found out, working with people. Uh, a plethora of exercises and techniques which liberated the actor from all of these this damage, these blocks, these emotional blocks, superstition, uh, insecurities, ego, uh, self-esteem issues, fear, uh, lack of entitlement, uh, dependencies, uh, all kinds of uh, religious uh, damage uh, that kept them from being free to, to act and over a period of this time 30 40 years i de- i developed this technique which liberated them so that they were able to be experientially affectable and expressive emotionally expressive of what they felt on a moment to moment basis so my concentration was totally acting for all of this time just but in the last 10 or 12 or 15 years i've been kind of toying with and working and ex- exploring this whole thing about Taking this work out to the world, to people who are not actors, because it works. It works for people because actors are people, and that's my goal. That's my that's my calling. That's my purpose, and that's my purpose in life. I'm hoping to live to a hundred so that I can continue. I have two more books I want to write, and uh, so uh, I'm you know I'm very excited about what I'm doing. I guess you can hear
0: that, right? I can hear that. It's super clear, and I love it. I love it. It's so rare to meet people that are so like fulfilled in their like mission they're on every day and you especially someone of your age it's very hard for me to like um put myself in your shoes just because you're like you've lived three and a half times more lives than me but I can see you build momentum every year and like it makes sense that you're living at such a like high level of enthusiasm um especially if you can keep like your health intact and all that like you have so much so much to move forward into it's like you're you're like propelled like by all this years of momentum and it's got to be exciting to feel like that
1: yeah i do i do take care of myself i've been a vegetarian for over 50 years take a lot of vitamins i work out i walk i pump iron a little bit and uh fortunately i i feel very blessed that my health my health is very good
0: yeah that's awesome what is it that like is like when did you start to feel like you were really like you had a headwind and you're like there's no way i'm going back to like the older less purposeful versions like my purpose you you mentioned that your purpose is about helping non-actors when did you come to like that realization that it was non-actors that were really needing this kind of work
1: well i've all i've always actually actually i've always known it on on some level but i was i i had my Focus was on acting. I was, I was I was doing a lot of acting myself. I was in I had two series I was in, and uh, I I did a lot of movies and a lot of I started in theater. So I did fifty plays even before I started doing films, but uh, so my focus was on training actors. I was totally into acting, but I always had a psychological bent. I minored in psychology at college. I graduated from Northwestern University, and I majored in theater, but I minored in psychology and always had a bent. And I've always been in and out of psychotherapy myself. So I always knew, always, always, maybe 30, 40 years ago, I knew that this work had an impact on people. And these, these, the people I was dealing with were people who are pursuing an acting career. So that was my focus. But as time went on, I could see that even people who stopped acting, who gave it up to pursue other, other involvements and other other careers would get back to me and tell me that the work that they did in my class absolutely helped them to forge a new career and function in life because of the basis basic foundation that that they got from studying acting in my classes. So I really knew this for a very long time. But it's only in the I don't know the last well it took me three and a half years to write the book. And so before that, I was thinking about writing it for another six or seven or eight years. So uh, I've been into thinking about putting this out for at least a decade. Why did it take you so long to put out this book? Well, as I said, you know, your questions are wonderful. Uh, I, I was really focused on being an acting teacher and an actor and a director, you know? I was, that, that's, my, that's, my, that's my field. You know, on my uh, on my uh, tombstone, it's going to say, "Eric Morris, here lies an actor." You know, <laughs> I mean, that's that that's what I am, you know. And so I think I was focused on that for my entire life, knowing all the time that this work that has evolved and that I innovated and somewhat invented areas, I knew it was, I knew it had to be used for people who are not actors, you know. As a matter of fact, two of my ex-students have created businesses where they're working with CEOs of big corporations and teaching them and working with this work so that they can deal with the media, interviews and board meetings, et cetera. So they have very successful businesses using my work dealing with uh, the corporate uh, corporate, uh, world, you know. CEOs and people who work in corporations, they train them how to deal with the media in terms of behavior and expression using my techniques, you know? So I'm very, I'm very happy about that. That's been going on for 20 years, you know? So, uh,
0: is there any exercise we could do right now that would kind of get like show people one of those techniques?
1: (laughs) It's hard to do until I do, I start all my classes. Uh, I, with an exercise I call personal inventory. It starts by saying, how, how do I feel? And you come up with an answer, how do I feel? I'm looking out of the window, I see the trees, I'm feeling, I'm feeling a little bit uh, preoccupied talking to you. I feel, how do I feel? I feel? I feel excited, I feel very excited talking to you. How do I feel? Um, I'm, um, my mouth is a little dry because I'm talking a lot. How do I feel? See, by doing a personal inventory, you get in touch with what's going on on a moment-to-moment basis. Most people are unaware of their moment-to-moment life. Personal inventory starts out with finding out where you are in the moment. And for actors, it gives them a basis for what they have to do to deal with where they are so that they can get ready to act. But for people who are not actors, it's 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 a wonderful technique. But the real technique, I'm going to get to how you repair the damage. I think that's what you want to hear. All right. Repairing the damage. This is one of the techniques. You go back in time and you do a thing called experience hunting. You go back in your life. I'm seven years old. I'm eight years old. I'm nine years old. I'm 10 years old. And you recall and you try to bring up through your memory uh, damaging experiences you had that have damaged you where you were put down by your father, your mother, etc., and so forth. Uh, an example I use in the book. I'll give you that example. A little boy is in 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 the garage, uh, his father's workshop, and he's building a birdhouse uh, because he has to uh, present that birdhouse as uh, something he brings to his Boy Scout troop. It's uh, something they're all doing. They're they're making, they're creating something. Uh, an assignment in their Boy Scout troop. So he's building a birdhouse and he's using his father's tools. Father walks in and sees what he's doing and he he looks at him and he says, what are you doing, Johnny? What are you, that's awful, that's terrible. What are you, you have 10 thumbs. I've never seen anything so so awful in my life. You can't even pound in a nail without bending the nail. Don't use my tools ever again. Listen, son, you have no talent. You have no talent for, for creating anything. Just stay away from my tools. Don't ever use my tools again because you can't, you you, you have no talent in this area. Face it. Now, that's an experience that really happened, which has really started me out on this uh, repairing the damage process. So, this happened maybe, oh, I don't know, 30, 35 years ago at a weekend jamboree seminar in Lake Arrowhead. So, off the top of my head, I said to Johnny, we'll call him Johnny. I said uh, he 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 was crying the blues. He said, "You know, from that experience on, I never picked up a screwdriver, or a hammer, or a saw again. I I have I, I can't even screw in a screw to put something together that comes in the mail. I'm I'm totally uh, inept." That damaged him so much, and it damaged his ego and damaged his security. I said, Johnny, let's try something. I want you to go back to that experience, but this time. I want you to change the ingredients of the experience and the outcome. But I want you to make the ingredients of the experience positive, like doing a believability, doing a fantasy. Your father walks in and he says to you, oh, what are you doing, Johnny? What, oh, you're doing that as an assignment, uh, a project for your Boy Scout troop? Here, let me, let me look at it. Yeah. Hey, did you design this yourself? It's pretty good. Uh, I see that's got two or three levels. Uh, Have you thought about uh, the color you're going to paint? Listen, let me let me help you uh, uh, find the color for this. Actually, it's very inventive. Where did you get the architectural thing? Uh, And Johnny says popular mechanics. Yeah. Oh, great. Great. That's good. And he goes on praising Johnny about what he did. And they decide to paint it red to attract the birds. So the father gets some red paint and they repaint the thing together. And at the end of the uh, uh, pro- uh, uh, changing the outcome and the ingredients of the thing, the father hugs Johnny. And uh, I asked him, I said, well, okay, you said, you said this one time. This experience is very deep into your unconscious. So one time is not going to reprogram the unconscious for sure. You have to repeat this many, many, many times. Continuing to change the ingredients to a positive and adding to it each time you do it. And the outcome as a positive outcome. So Johnny did it about seven or eight times in front of a group of people. And at the, t- at the end of seven or eight times, which is only the beginning, it should be more than that. I said, "How do you feel about the experience now?" He says, "Well, you know, I feel a little bit different. Actually, I feel a little bit more, uh, a little bit more understanding of my father. A little bit more accepting of him than I did. I was angry at him all of these years. I've been very angry at him for being so, so, so cruel and critical of me. But after doing it seven or eight times." I'm kind of I'm kind of looking at him differently, but I still feel hurt by it. And so I said, "You have to do it 50 times, a hundred times, 60 times. I don't know about a hundred times, but each time you do it, what you're going to be doing is you're going to be re- reprogramming the unconscious. You're going to take. You see, the unconscious is is it, it, is a storehouse. It's not evaluative. It's not analytical. It has no judgment." It just stores the experiences in what we call unconscious memory banks. So those memory banks have to be reprogrammed. At the very least, if it doesn't actually completely repair the damage, it certainly makes the person feel a lot more positive about a negative experience. And that's been my, my experience working with people. And in some cases, it completely changes the experience to a positive one and then eliminates eliminates it from liberating itself into your conscious life. And when it liberates itself into your conscious life, it inhibits you from having trust in yourself, not only in that area, but in a lot of areas. Johnny uh, couldn't use a screwdriver or do anything, but how many other areas? that his father damaged by putting him down, saying you don't have any talent for this uh, son, you know, probably it lapped over into a lot of other areas, too.
0: Oh, yeah. It becomes like a a toxic root that starts to, like, sprout its own weeds from it, and you got to go. Right on. Boy, you're bright. Boy, you are so bright.
1: I'm not just blowing smoke at you. That's very bright. Exactly. It becomes
0: toxic for a lot of other areas. You hit the nail right on the head
1: and it really works. I
0: learned, I learned about that topic pretty in depth. I did a 10 day meditation course where we were in silence and doing the exercises and listening to these talks every night. It was a Vipassana meditation. I did it in Thailand and it's basically direct from, it's like a direct meditation practice from like the Buddha himself. And uh, that's like one of the core things that they teach is like, you got to face those discomforts. And you got to look into them and get to subtler and subtler understandings and layers of them. And then you can cut them out. You like erase them because yeah, they, they cause you to reprogram. It, It, it creates like this program inside you. That's not actually what you believe about yourself, but what others tell you to believe about yourself. And when you cut that out, be more authentic, like
1: exactly, exactly.
0: Yeah. That's incredible. When you read, if you read my book, when you read my book, uh, I will read your book. Like, this is amazing. I love these concepts. I, I will,
1: I will tell you, there are 15 or 20 case histories in there that are real, that are people that I've worked with. They're, they're not made up stories. I think there's only two or three, uh, uh, created, uh, uh, examples, but the rest are all real people. I've changed their names. Real people dealing with these demons, dealing with this, these, this, this damage. Uh, it's incredible in the book. They're they're real people real dealing with stuff. And I have a section in the, in the last part of the book, how to deal with PTSD, post-traumatic, uh, stress uh, disorder and, and other other things like that. The last section of the book, I, I give a lot of examples of how, uh, and you know what I heard? I heard at the, um, Veterans Administration, they were dealing with PTSD using some of the techniques that I'm using and have been using. I I just happened to stumble on it. They're using exactly the same stuff that I'm using, you know. So I I was very, I was, I was very pleased about that. And you know, as far as my classes are concerned, these people who are learning how to be actors, they're also learning how to be people, uh, free people, elevate their self-esteem you know, and their entitlement and their self-worth and the dealing with the thing. So my classes are very proactive for people also, you know?
0: Yeah. So how can people take your class? Say I'm interested in taking your class. What, what are the steps I need to do? Do I need to physically come to where you live or how do you take your class? No, well, I have a, I have a, I have a studio theater on Wilshire in Los Angeles
1: on the Miracle Mile. And I have three classes each week. My classes are four, five, six hours in length, and I work everybody in class. And uh, the first uh, audit is complimentary. You can come and watch what I'm doing for free. And if it resonates with what you uh, see and you think it can be help for you, uh, helpful to you, you just uh, join the class. It's, uh, it's an ongoing class. There are no contracts. It's month to month. And you want me to give you my telephone number?
0: If you're comfortable with that being shared on the podcast
1: absolutely it's three two three four six six nine two five zero that's my uh, number for my theater and my uh, email is Eric Morris 19 at Sbc global.net Sam boy candy SBC global.net Eric Morris the number 19 at SBC global.net and they can reach me in both in both places and uh, uh, my, my wife does Skype with everybody uh, all over the world. She works with people and actors all over the world at Skype. And she's been with me teaching for 30 years. And so there's a lot available and we do weekend workshops and we do jamborees and we do intentions. We do a lot of stuff. So, uh, I'm available and you know, essentially I'm, I'm not just saying this to build business. I'm happy as long as I can pay my bills. I, I I'm not. I've never been on the paper chase. Money to me is something you 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 use utilitarianly to pay your bills. I don't I I I don't live an opulent life. I I I don't have a, a material desire. I have some nice things, you know. Of course, in eighty-seven years, I've 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 acquired some things, you know. But uh, mostly, I'm into art. I I've been collecting art for fifty years, you know. Uh, and I'm, I, I go to museums, and I am actually have the, have the soul and the heart of an artist, really. I can't paint, I can't draw a straight
0: line, but I can certainly appreciate art, you know? Yeah, I think I have a lot of overlap with your interests. And It seems like one thing you're really after are, like, impactful experiences, both as a student of life and as a teacher and inspirational figure for others to come into their fullest self. Um,
1: yeah, absolutely. And I provide an audit to my class so they don't have to make any commitments unless it's something they feel resonates with what they need or want. I don't tie anybody up and it's on a month to month basis. You come and go as you, as you please. And I got to tell you something. I have people who've been with me years and years and years. And I've got about, I say 85, 90 people teaching my system exclusively all over, all over the world. I have a following in Australia and in Turkey, and Argentina, and Germany. I have a following all over the world. Oh, I have a teacher in Paris. So I would like to say this. So yeah, like
0: if people are living in other countries, like what is the name of your teaching that they could be able to find in their-
1: The Eric Morris system.
0: Okay, and I'm sorry, you said that you had something else you wanted to say?
1: Yeah, I want to say this. I appreciate the opportunity to have shared this with you, and I want to tell you, I'm very grateful for the gifts that I have been given. I feel even a, a little vulnerable sharing that with you. I feel very grateful for the gifts that I have been given, and I don't take it for granted. And I and I and I don't let it fill my head with feelings of a, a of ego accomplishments. I'm very grateful for the gift, and I want to share that with everybody.
0: Hey guys, this is your People of Purpose podcast host, Tanner Badgley. Do you want to get a short email from me? Would you find value in receiving a very short email every other weekend that personalizes your path of purpose? The POP newsletter, because people of purpose, is a very short email where I share with you the most interesting things I've recently discovered, have been thinking about, or implementing into my life each week to more personally and purposefully pursue my purpose. It will include a short update on how my podcast is helping me grow into my purpose a quote that's been on my mind from a purposeful resource such as a podcast book video or mentor as well as a nugget of advice from my experience on how to better align and optimize your life for your purpose and finally i'll try to share inspiration with you on how one of our listeners is benefiting from people of purpose so please take a small step of action right now and by sending a quick email to peopleofpurposepodcast at gmail.com. You don't even need to write a message. Just include in the subject header, People of Purpose Newsletter, and you'll receive the very next one. Here's to becoming people of purpose. I want to I wanna hone in on this one like gift that I think that you're really lucky to have. And I'm sure you've been asked this before, but what was it like to work with Johnny Depp? And how did he... Um, evolve through your teaching practice. Okay. I, Were you a part of like yeah. helping him to become such an amazing actor? Or how did that work? Well,
1: I, you know, I also worked with Jack Nicholson and, and a lot of other people. I, uh, I'm a very good friend to Arnold Schwarzenegger. Actually, I coached him on his first dramatic film, Stay Hungry, which he won the Golden Globe Award for the most promising newcomer. He's a, Arnold is the most underestimated actor in the world because he chose to do the, uh, uh, the, uh, you know, the physical things, the action adventure stuff. But Arnold is one of the most sensitive people I know. I, I just talked to him recently. I love him. Johnny Depp. I, I really love Johnny Depp because I think he's probably one of the most versatile actors in the world. He can almost do anything. Uh, how, how it all evolved. I'll tell you the, the origin, uh, a, a student director, friend of mine, uh, Put me in touch with him. I was in Baltimore. I was in Washington D.C. Actually, and he said, "I'm, I'm, I'm approaching Johnny Depp, who had at that time uh, only uh, uh, done that Twenty One Jump Street. I don't think he had done a movie at that time. Uh, he did, um, I don't know, Cry Baby uh, later. But uh, uh, David Anspaugh, the director, said who worked with me, who I coached as in my class." He said, I want you to meet Johnny Depp. I'm trying to get him to do a film with me. And he's in Baltimore rehearsing to do a film called Cry Baby. That's how it happened. I spent four days in a hotel room in Baltimore working with him on that uh, film and other things. And I was so impressed with his involvement and his seriousness and, and his commitment to it. Uh, that that's where my relationship with him started. That's four days. Then uh, time went by, and he uh, started doing uh, Edward Scissorhands. And he came to my house, and he took a private session with me at that time. But then his director, the director, uh, didn't want him working with a coach, so uh, he cut that uh, relationship off. But you know, he uses my work just recently. Uh, one of my students was on a SAG committee and she saw, uh, Black Mass and another movie and she approached him and she said, oh, I have a greetings uh, for you from Eric Morris. And he said, Eric Morris, do you know Eric Morris? Oh my God. Uh, she said, yes, I work with him. I'm in his class. He said, well, you got to tell him that in Black Mass, when, I was losing my son or I lost my son. I was using one of his choices that I got in his class and it really worked for me. He said, that man is a genius. So that's, uh, that that quote, that's quote. I didn't hear it. That's what uh, my student, Suzanne uh, Berman told me. And uh, that's the truth. So he does use my work and he said he was using uh, external for uh, those uh, pirate movies. He was doing a, uh uh an external of uh uh one of the rolling stone guys uh uh richards uh, as a uh, basis for his character keith richards he was getting a sense of keith
0: what do you mean by using an external I don't, i'm not familiar with the lingo of your industry what does that mean well eh,
1: okay e- exter- external was one of my 30 31 choice approaches an external is, is working to get a sense of an animal a person, an inanimate, or an insect. And it's an actual scientific approach by studying the animal and breaking it down in, potty, uh, par- in body parts, leading centers, se- secondary centers, centers of weight and balance, uh, rhythm, tempo. And by doing that, you inhabit the, the actual uh, sense of the animal, let's say. Then you translate it into human behavior and the sense of that animal propels you into behavior to fulfill the character elements of a piece of material. Now, in Johnny Depp's case, he was working to get a sense of a person, Keith Richards, and that was the spine of his character in all of those pirate movies that he did. I never knew that. That's directly related to my system, you know, the external system. I I spent quite a couple of chapters on that in my book. So I think he, I think he profited, from uh, wor- using my work, reading my books, and working with me. But I got to tell you, I didn't spend a lot of time with him, but whatever time I spent with him, he's using the work. And I, I respect him to the stratosphere because I think he's probably probably one of the most versatile actors I've ever worked with. Not to discount uh, Nicholson or any of the other people, uh, Aaron Eckhart or, or Arnold Schwarzenegger, or I have a whole list of people you wouldn't know as movie stars, but they work in the industry consistently and they're successful, you know? So I, I, I guess I, uh, yeah, Johnny, Johnny, I respect him to the, to the strategy. He's a uh, very talented, very talented man. And Jack is too. I talk I talked to Jack, uh, uh, at least, uh, once every two or three months. we have a long half hour conversation on the telephone. And uh, I, have, I
0: have, wow. Is there like a purpose for the conversation? They reach out to you, say they're looking for a issue. Like, how does someone so busy and successful with so many connections choose to spend time with you? No, we we don't talk about, about process when I talk to Jack. We talk
1: about our lives and people and and, and our health and what we're doing and uh, the old good old days. And you know, Jack wrote the foreword to No Acting Please. Yeah, you know, my first book. And, uh, so we talk about, uh, uh, a walk down memory lane, you know, uh, we don't talk about the work, you know, but he, he also uses the work we studied together with when we were, I met him at, when we were in a class with Martin Landau, we were both students of his. And that's where I met Jack. And when Marty went to Europe to do Cleopatra, Jack came and studied with me because I, uh, Marty encouraged me to start a class. And Jack was one of my first students, you know, and it uh, was a contemporary. I, I never considered Jack a student, you know, we were, we were in training together. So it was like we were working together, but uh, I love Jack. Jack, uh, you know, I told, I told Jack, you know, I, I always really had real strong feelings for Jack because he was always good to me. And uh, he used to come over, and have meals in my house when we were both young, starving actors, you know? And so it, we go back a long way. And uh, I truly love the man. He's a good man. He's really a good man. He's been helpful to a lot of people. You know, I was once talking to him. I said, you know, I, I understand that that you gave a, a lot of money to this charity. I read it in uh, one of the magazines. And you know what he said to me? He said, Eric, you got to give some of it back, man. You got to give some of it back. And I thought I, you know, I was so touched by that, that statement, you know, what he said, (laughs) it's right, you got to give some of it back. And you know what I'm doing, I'm giving some of it, a lot of it back.
0: What's the key to a like choosing who to really like, uh, cultivate wonderful relationships with and also like, how do you create longevity in these relationships? This is back to the whole like millennial wondering thing of we have a lot of connections with a lot of people that are all kind of staying at superficial levels. It's very transitory now, like the world is more open of a place so you can move continents or move cities like real easily compared to maybe 50 years ago. What are some of your principles or credos, mottos for how you develop such rich relationships? I
1: don't ever think of cultivating a relationship. Once it happens, once I get involved in the collaboration of the work with somebody, a relationship forms. a give and take relationship forms because we're collaborating in a, in a creative, in a creative framework, in a creative hemisphere with creative tools. We become uh, connected through that. So I don't, I don't set out to create relationships. They form the relationships form. As I said, even though this new generation doesn't seem to be committed to, the cre- creative process, craftsmanship, artistry, etc. There are exceptions, and those are the exceptions that uh, are app- that, that that are interested in my work and that the work appeals to. Those are the exceptions. The people that say, "Hey, this is a journey of a lifetime. This is a creative process. I'm in training for life, and this training is ever evolving." and uh, you see, my feeling is that from birth to death, our most important involvement is the elevation of consciousness. If, if the world all of a sudden became conscious and the whole world was on the journey for consciousness, we wouldn't have wars. We wouldn't have what's going on in the world. We wouldn't have ethnic cleansing or holocausts or prejudice or bigotry or racism. If everybody all of a sudden became conscious, none of that would exist. None of it, you know? So my my thinking is from birth to death, our, our, our journey is to elevate our consciousness to the highest possible level. And that's what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to do it, you know?
0: Oh, I'm in the exact same field as you for sure. Like that is a, a life mission. Like I am doing... Practices daily. I'm going to seminars and taking courses, and I am so involved in that. And (laughs) it sounds like I really need to take your course. Um, Like what you're after really resonates. Uh, Listen, I
1: listen. I would love it if you came by, audited my class, and if you wanted to jump in, it would be a privilege because I can hear you're on the same path.
0: Yeah. Well, I'll be in L.A. at the end of this month, so I'll have to uh, contact you and stop by.
1: Yeah. Even, you know, even if you just audit or we have a cup of coffee or lunch or something, I would love to do that.
0: Thank you. Yeah. I would love that too. I live in San Francisco right now, so it's not that big of a journey down to LA. My mom lives down there. So yeah, I plan on visiting soon.
1: And I'll give you some of my books. I have a book called my Hollywood stories, which is actually a journal of all the people I've crossed paths with in the last 50 years. Uh, and most of them are pretty famous. So Yeah, I'll give you that book. It's a fun read. It's not an acting book, but it's about actors, uh, talking about actors, directors, producers. I'll give you that book. You'll enjoy it. My Hollywood stories. So when I see you, when you come down, let's have coffee. Let's have a lunch, and I'll give you several
0: of my books, okay? Okay, I'm in. Thank you very much. Yeah, we'll talk offline about how to do that. Can I email you and call you and stuff like that? You, You have my
1: email address now, and you have my phone number? Just give me a call, and you have my cell phone number. The phone we're
0: talking on now is my cell. Do you have it? Yep, I see it on my screen. Thank you. Um, so great. So call me.
1: Any, one of those things. Any one of those uh,
0: areas. I will one hundred percent be doing that. Um, I don't want to get like people too involved in like what our personal relationship might turn into. Um, I want to keep the focus back on like purpose to just to finish it, and then we, me and you can like talk about those things offline because that's super exciting to me to be able to get to meet you and read those books and all that.
1: Yeah, and you're not obligated to pursue me in any way at all. I'm just I'm just throwing that out as a possibility if you'd like like to do that. I'm I'm very available to people who are on a journey that is very very similar to my own, you know. Awesome.
0: Well, let's talk about that to finish off this podcast recording and then we can obviously learn more about each other um, either afterwards or another day or definitely at the end of this month when I come to LA. For sure. I want to ask like a handful of questions about purpose. We can think of it like kind of as a lightning round. So we're we're kind of almost at an hour into the interview and people have like certain okay. attention span. So I don't want to make it go like way too long. Um, I love talking to you. I love like where your mind's at. Okay. Can we try to keep these answers to maybe like 30 seconds to a minute? And I'll try to ask you like a series of five or six questions about purpose. I very much will do the best I can. I will do the best that I can do. Right. Um... Question one. <laughs> question one. What's a question you, ask, you wish people ask you more? Uh,
1: what, what, what can I do to identify wh- about
0: whether I'm happy
1: or not? How, how can I ask myself,
0: am I happy? And if not, why not? Awesome. What have you unlearned to find purpose? Say that again. What have you had to unlearn to find purpose? Uh, self-involvement. Getting, uh, avoiding getting self-involved.
1: Avoiding worrying, avoid turning my eyes inward, keeping my eyes focused
0: outward. Okay. If you had the chance to leave a 30-second voicemail to your 25-year-old self, what would you say on that voicemail?
1: My 25-year-old self, put one foot in front of the other and stay on the journey. Do not vary off the journey. Keep your eyes focused on growing and, uh, and, 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 and reaching and staying hungry. Staying hungry for growth and knowledge and involvement.
0: Wow. And then what's something people don't know about you that would surprise them?
1: Uh, <laughs> that's a good one. Uh, I have, uh, I, I'm have. I absolutely the most curi- one of the most curious people I know. I'm curious about everything. I'm curious about everything. I used to drive my teachers crazy in school. I used to say, well, well why is that? Why do you want to know that? Because I, I just, I'm curious. I'm curious about everything. I'm curious about rocket science. I'm curious about medicine. I'm curious about uh, uh, self-help. I'm curious about everything. I'm curious about art. I'm curious about music. I'm curious about automobiles. I, I love sports cars. I, 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 in my life, I've had a couple of Porsches. I, I used to want to be a race car driver, but I gave that up. I, I had Four motorcycles at one time, not all at once, one at a time. I'm curious about everything. I guess to some people, it
0: would be curious to a fault. What's what's the greatest risk you feel you've had to take to come into your purpose?
1: Uh, The greatest risk I had to take to come into my purpose. When I stopped pursuing an acting career, because my involvement in teaching and in Dealing with the training of people became more important to me than being an actor. I think that was the that was the greatest risk. You know, Jack Nicholson said this to me, and I'll quote it. And it's not, it's the absolute truth. We were on the telephone once. He says, "You know, Eric, you're every bit as good an actor as I am. I got the shot, and you didn't." He said that to me verbatim, and so you know maybe i would have gotten the shot if i would have stayed with it but I, I don't i don't regret that i don't regret that for a moment that was a choice i made and it was a, it was a, it was a, an enormous risk you know what i'm saying it was an enormous risk what i'm saying so uh everything i've said on this interview is all true i have not i made up anything i I've, I've not exaggerated a thing you know
0: yeah certainly and like it really matches what you were saying to be top of the episode about how you're trying to go beyond your ego, um, not trying to be too self-congratulatory, and making the decision to like ultimately not become a famous movie star and be more in the in the background, really deeply affecting people's lives, um, but but have not having like quite the recognition a teacher ever really truly deserves. Um, I think like that's that's a really big testament to purpose coming first, and I really admire that in you
1: thank you so much for the opportunity to share this with you
0: thank you well i want to just acknowledge the way that you um live your life with so much enthusiasm for your purpose and the way that you um build into your relationships and that you really follow this craft as like this creative path without necessarily knowing like what what goals and milestones you're necessarily after but you just keep trusting the unfolding taking one greater step asking like Better and better questions. Being a curious person—it's um, just such like it sounds like such an invigorating way to be living. And I really want to model a lot of my my adulthood after that. So thank you for inspiring me.
1: I hope so. And 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 and, and.
0: well, it was good to get to meet you today and to be able to um, really feel such a sense of your purpose. It's come—it's so apparent on the in the recording. So thank you so much. I think this is going to inspire everyone that gets to listen to this. Thank you for being of service today.
1: Thank you so much.
0: So what actionable step are you going to take next? Do you have a lingering question or something you want help working through? Do you need support in doing what it's going to take to live your purpose? People of Purpose is here for you. Subscribe to the podcast and soak in the stories and words of our wonderful guests. Do you have any friends that might have enjoyed this episode or the podcast? Bring them on board as a podcast subscriber. If you want to actually see the guests behind the voices, as well as the purposeful people and communities I'm a part of around the world, follow the podcasting journey on Instagram at People of Purpose Podcast. You can connect with our purpose-seeking community on Facebook at People of Purpose by liking and following our page. Know the minute each new episode is published, hear first about upcoming People of Purpose opportunities, and receive regular tidbits of inspiration and media I'm purposely perusing, pursuing, and pondering. It's simply a regular dose of goodness, intentionally filtered by me, to nourish your personal path of purpose. For the ultimate engagement, join our intentional group Purpose Seekers from the Facebook page. Join your longer form discussions, link up with accountability partners, and share in opportunities and challenges to better know and grow in your purpose. Send me a direct message on either Facebook or Instagram if you want to talk privately and receive personalized guidance on how to raise your sails and write your ship. Come forth with your biggest dreams and aspirations, and I will do my best to connect you with the necessary resources and mentors from my network to start your trek along your personal path of purpose. Cheers, and here's to becoming.